Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 3. We are finishing up our series of the pastoral epistles where we've been taking time to walk through the book of 1 Timothy, Titus, and now the book of 2 Timothy, examining these special books of the Bible. Remember that these books are unique in that they are not written to a church, but they're written to individuals acting in the office of a pastor. And so because of that, it does affect some of the interpretation because Paul is telling Titus and he's telling Timothy some things they need to do as pastors to instruct their people and to continue. As we find our way in the book of 2 Timothy, we understand that the Apostle Paul has been arrested in Rome and that he is very quickly going to be facing the executioner and he's going to be taking a shortcut to glory. During that time, he is trying to encourage his son of the faith, Timothy, to continue. And the reason why this is necessary is because so many people, because Paul has been arrested, have been abandoning the Apostle Paul. Whole churches are saying, no, we don't support Paul. Entire churches have been turning away from Christianity just because Paul has been arrested. And Paul has been seeing how all of these churches have fallen away and he's taking his son of the faith, Timothy, and he's trying to strengthen him. He's trying to encourage him. He's trying to do everything to nail him down so that way Timothy would continue to stand when even people inside of the church of Ephesus, the church that Timothy is pastoring, is saying, do we really need to support this Paul guy? Can you imagine such a betrayal? Such an abandonment, such a weak, anemic faith that people are no longer supporting the Apostle Paul just because he's in prison. So with that idea of context, look with me now to the book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 3 will be finishing up this series uh, going to today, tonight, and then finishing up on Wednesday night. So three more messages, including this morning, on the pastoral epistles. In the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, we now find our way in verse number 15. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 15, the Bible says this. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3? The book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and notice with me in verse 15 the phrase, the holy scriptures. The holy scriptures. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to preach to you the message here, the holy scriptures. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. 
And as we come up to you today, I understand that this is an important subject. Whenever we speak about your Bible and speak about your word, it is something that can be life-changing. It is something that is vital. It is something that is so important to the Christian life. I'm asking now that this would be easily understood, that you would put much power. And I know that this is a message that I preach quite often at this type of message, but I'm asking that you would do something unusual with it, that it wouldn't be just the same old, but you would do something life-changing and draw us close to you because of the preaching of your word. I dare not get in the way of anything that you want to do so the best I know how I surrender my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals, my desires and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit that once again Lord you would do what only you can do and in Jesus name we pray. Amen. The Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. With this, there's several things that we want you to understand here. As the Apostle Paul is speaking to his son of the faith, Timothy, this is one of the core passages in our study of the Bible, and it is one that's necessary for our understanding of what the Bible is to us. The very first thing I'd like to show you is the inspiration of all Scripture. The inspiration of all Scripture. Notice with me in verse number 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that word inspiration is a great word. It's a wonderful word. It carry, It's the literal word of theopneusis. That's a big fancy word. But it carries the idea of God breathed. God breathed. Remember in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, God had taken and formed the dust of the earth into a fashion of a man. And then how did Adam get a living soul? God breathed into the, living, into the dust and it became a living soul in Adam. That same breath that God breathed into Adam is the same breath that God breathed into this Bible. You understand? This Bible is a living book. It is a powerful book. What a wonderful thing. This is why when you read the Bible, you could read it through a hundred times and still find something you never saw before. You could read it and no matter what you're going through, this living book can show you exactly what you need in your life. Now, this is important because this is the foundation. If this is a book written by man, then it is a dead book. It's a limited book. But this is a book that was not written by man. It was a, written, a book written by God. Which brings us to a big point. How did we get the Bible? Well, that's a good question. Did it come to the idea that some guy wrote the Bible where did we get the Bible? Again, this is the cornerstone of our faith is what do we do with the scriptures? How did we get the scriptures? And we need to be very clear that we could explain it to someone else. With that in mind, may I show you what the Bible says about how we got the scriptures? What is this idea of inspiration that God breathed the scriptures? Well, turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Peter chapter number 1. The book of 2 Peter, chapter number 1, and the Bible gives us the answer, dealing how did we get our scriptures. 
This is a cornerstone of our faith. With this question answered, it will either help us to follow after God, or if we answer it incorrectly, it shipwrecks our entire faith. This is the core. Now, we live in a world today that many people do not believe the Bible was written by God. They believe that it may have some spiritual properties, but in all essence, most, a lot of people believe that the Bible was written by men. So what does the Bible say about this? Well, turn with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter number 1. The book of 2 Peter chapter 1, and notice what it says in verse number 20. 2 Peter chapter number 1 verse 20. It says, knowing this first. Well, that's an important phrase. It says, hey, this is important. Knowing this first. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. The Bible says here that the Bible is not of any private interpretation. What does that mean? Well, some people have the idea that the Bible means something to you, and then it means something different to me. That is not true. When the Bible was written, there was one thing that God meant when he wrote it. And it is our responsibility to study our self, to study ourself approved unto God to find out what did God mean when he wrote the scriptures. And that takes work. That takes responsibility. That takes being dead to self. There's a lot to it. And we covered that earlier when we talked about studying to show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. But we understand this is a principle here that this is a book that God wrote and there was one thing he meant by it. That there is no scripture of any private interpretation. Meaning that the Bible doesn't mean one thing to you and then means another thing to me. The Bible says, knowing this first, this is important. There's only one thing that God meant by it. He continues with this in verse number 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. So notice this. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. So some guy didn't wake up one morning, stretch, I think I'm going to write some Bible today. Well, that's not what happened. The Bible didn't come around because some guy wanted to write Bible. But instead, verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we see here the idea here <coughs> that the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. May I give you an illustration? If I was to write down my name right now, what wrote down my name on this paper? My pen was the instrument, but what was the force behind it? Me. So we would have to say both, right? The instrument was necessary, but the force behind it got across its will. What would happen if my pen decided to go into business for himself, and I wanted to write down my name, but my pen fought me? Would I get across what I wanted? No. Notice the description of these men who were used to write scripture Holy men of God. These were men who were holy. That carries the idea of separated unto God for God's use. These were men that said, God, whatever you want, I will do. They were surrendered instruments in God's hands. So they said, God, use me as an instrument. You get across what you want. They didn't fight. They weren't people who hated God. They were people who loved God and wanted to see God's word 
happen. They wanted to see God get accomplished what he wanted to be done. The men were instruments. God was the force behind it. Now we understand that the Bible was written by 40 different human penmen over the space of 1,200 years. Now, what happens if I use a different pen? Let's say that I'm using a black one. What happens if I use a red one and I write it down? Is it still getting accomplished what I want? But is there not a different flavor, a different shade, a different... There's some pens that are fat pens. There's skinny pens. There's fine tooth. We understand that different instruments can leave a different mark. But it is the force behind them that gets accomplished exactly what they want. Does that make sense? So we understand that each of these instruments that are used, you can see some of the personality of the instrument inside of the writings. Because Jeremiah, he's seeing something. He's watching the destruction. The weeping prophet, you can almost see the tears in his eyes as the scripture is being written. Then there's someone like Isaiah who's seeing the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Oh, what a wonderful thing. That has a different personality, different experiences, different things that they went through, different ink in the pen. But it was God that used those instruments to get accomplished exactly what he wanted. This is the process of inspiration. That men were used as human penmen, but it was not the will of man that wrote the scripture. It was the inspiration of God that moved them to write down exactly what God wanted. And that's what we believe, the verbal plenary inspiration of God. That God inspired each and every word. By the way, isn't God smart enough? Do you think that at the beginning of creation, God said, you know, I want something bright. I want something that shines, but I can't figure the word for it. No, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Do you think God's smart enough to know what word to use? Yes. Do you think God is smart enough to say, I want that word used? Yes. This is what we call the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture that God chose each and every word and that each and every word where God breathed that God placed them down that men were the human instruments and so that God is the one who gave us scripture not man inspiration is a supernatural act meaning that it comes from God so Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture was of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy. So we start off with the idea that all Scripture is inspired of God. Each and every word is what God intended for us to have. And he used men who were surrendered to him as instruments to get across the exact thing that God wanted. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Which brings us to a second thing I'd like to show you here. Not only the inspiration of scripture, but we see the necessity of all scripture. The necessity of all Scripture. Notice if you don't mind in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and I want you to pay attention in verse number 16. What is the very first word? All. 
What does all mean? All. That's pretty simple, right? Does all mean some of it? It means all of it. It says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is necessary. All of it. You say, well, what about 1 Chronicles chapter 1 through 9 where it says all the begats? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, what about all those laws of Leviticus? All those things I don't understand about the cloven hooves and whatever. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it is necessary. Why? Why is all Scripture necessary? Well, we come to the idea here. What is the purpose of of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. The whole purpose of the scriptures is to reveal God to man, to show us who God is. And within it, we have 66 books of the Bible. Every single book of the Bible shows us is a book about God. Every one of those 66 books tells us something special and unique about God. So have you ever put together a puzzle and at the end of it you're missing a piece, two, five? Well you have an incomplete picture, don't you? All scripture is given by inspiration of God because all scripture main purpose is to reveal God to man. And so what happens in the book of Genesis you see that God is the creator. In the book of Exodus you see God as the uh, deliverer. In the book of Leviticus you see God as the lawmaster. Inside of the book of uh, Deuteronomy you see that there's consequences for disobeying God. Inside of the book of Deuteronomy we see the retelling of of the law. In the book of Judges (coughs) or Joshua we see that Jesus Christ is the victory. Inside of the book of Judges and on and on it goes. Each book tells us something special And unique about God. And so if there is a certain passage. A certain section of the Bible. That you are not familiar with. That is a vision. Or a revelation of God. That you don't have. You're missing some pieces of the puzzle. You do not have a complete picture of God. You say there's divisions of the Bible. Yes. In the Old Testament we start off with the five books of Pentateuch. The first five books. Called the books of Moses. They use the fancy word Pentateuch. Which means five books. So we have. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Pentateuch. After that, we have 12 books of history. So 12 books that record the history of Israel's people as they move forward. After that, we are followed by five poetical books. So five books that use poetical language that deals with the heart issues of man. Job, Psalm, Proverbs, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, five books of poetry. Those are followed by five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. So five major prophets. Those are followed by 12 minor prophets. By the way, don't let the name fool you. They be minor in size, but major in message. They are huge books. And deals with so many subjects. If there's somebody that's not familiar with the minor prophets. They are missing a very big picture of who God is. Followed by that we have the four gospel records. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Each of those 
reveal who Jesus Christ is in a different light. Remember the gospel record of Matthew is written to the Hebrew people. And it shows that Jesus Christ is the king. It shows Jesus Christ as the lion of the tribe of Judah. After that you have <laughs> Matthew, we have Mark. Mark is written to the Roman mind. The Roman people respected action, not talk. And so you have 16 chapters. 12 of those chapters start with the word and. And they show continual action. They show that Jesus Christ is a man of action which is written to the Roman mind. It shows him as the perfect servant. And he is pictured as an ox. Afterward, you have the gospel record of Luke, which is written to the Greek mind. The Greeks were always looking forward to the perfect man. So when you look at Greek sculptures, they are always very lifelike and perfect. Perfect bodies, perfect figure. They were looking for the perfect man. Well, inside of the gospel record of Luke, it is shown that Jesus Christ is the perfect man. Man. And inside of the gospel record of John, it soars higher above the rest of the gospel records. It is pictured as an eagle. And inside of the gospel record of John is written to all men to show that Jesus Christ is God. Four gospels with different perspectives on the same Jesus. Written from different perspectives. Then you have the gospel record of Acts. Which shows the continuing work of Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit. Inside of the lives of the apostles. The book of Acts. After that you have what is called the Christian church epistles. They are Paul's writings. Writing to these Gentile churches. To instruct them how to live like a Christian. And how to behave. After that the Christian church epistles. You are followed by the Hebrew Christian church epistles which are written specifically to churches with a Hebrew flavor to it. Written starting from the book of Hebrews. That would probably be written to Hebrew people. The book of 1 Peter, 2 Peter, written to the scattered brethren. Then you have the book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, written to Hebrew people, short little letters. And then to the book of Revelation, which is written with the idea that the book of Revelation shows God's fulfilled prophecies to the Hebrew people. So we have here the many parts that make the whole. Whether it's the Pentateuch, the historical books, the prophetical books, the major prophets, the minor prophets, the gospel records, Acts, the Christian church epistles, the Hebrew Christian church epistles. Each of those sections and each of those books within those sections reveal something special and unique about God. There are some people that say, well, I'm only a gospel person. I only preach and read through the gospel records. Then, sir or ma'am, you are missing 60 plus books that revealed something special and unique about God. This is why it's so important for us to read the Bible from cover to cover and not just spend one time in one section, ignore everything else, because then we get a false or a slanted, perverted view of God because there is more that God wants to reveal about himself. Do you know it's not just the books, but it's each passage. Everywhere you read is the purpose of revealing God to man. May I give you an example? Think about the Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to ask you to quote them. But, you know, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. Do you know that each one of the Ten Commandments reveals something about God to us? For example, the Bible says, Thou shall not commit adultery. Did you know that we can learn about God from that verse? Why doesn't God want us to commit adultery? Because God is always faithful. We learn something about his character. The Bible says, thou shall not covet. 
Why does the Bible say thou shalt not covet? Because God always satisfies. Godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. We have no need to covet if we're satisfied with what God has given to us. The Bible says thou shalt not steal. Why don't we need to steal? Because God can provide. You understand every passage in the Bible reveals something about God to us. And that if we approach our Bible reading and say, God, show me more about you today. It doesn't matter where you read at. You could be reading in the Levitical law and learn more about God. You could be reading in the book of 2 Timothy and learn more about God. You can be reading in the genealogies of so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and begot so-and-so and you can learn that everyone is important to God and that God knows everyone. There is so much you could learn. But the main purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man and because of that all scripture is necessary. Every little bit of it. There is not a portion of scripture that is not inspired. There's not a single word that you could find in there that is not what God intended to have. This is important because this is the foundation of everything we believe. Because if the Bible has mistakes in it, then can you trust it? The answer is no. And therefore, we do not get a vision of God. By the way, whenever someone takes a perversion, and that's what we call it, and they change the Bible, they are changing the view of of who God is. And when they change who God is, that is a big deal. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we start off with the inspiration of all scripture, that God inspired the word. He breathed the word. He used human instrumentality to get across. Now we understand that all scripture is given of inspiration of God, that all scripture is necessary. The necessity of all scripture. Every single part of the Bible is necessary and reveals something special and unique about God that we need to know, that God wants us to know about him. May I also take a pause here? You take the two greatest Christians, the two greatest believers who ever existed in the word of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that would be Moses and <clears throat> Paul, without a doubt, Moses and Paul, who had the closest relationship with God. And at the zenith, the height of both of their walk with God, you know what both of their prayers were? That I may know him. You asked Paul, starting church number 125, Paul, what is your biggest desire? That I may know him. Moses Exodus chapter 33. Moses, what is your biggest desire? That I may know him. How do we know him? God has revealed himself in his word. And you can know him if you, don't, if you want to. May I also make a little pause here? That in an average reading speed, it only takes 72 hours to read God's Bible from cover to cover. And for someone to say, I can't read God's word from cover to cover, and there's nothing hindering you physically or mentally, what you're telling God is that he's not worth 72 hours an entire year. May I say, you don't want to know God if you're not able to read your Bible through. 
That's only 10, 15 minutes a day. Can you not spare 10, 15 minutes a day? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to point out something. You're as close to God as you want to be. You know as much about the Lord as you want to. And God has given you, there is no greater source and there's no shortcut of knowing God outside of his word. If you want to know God, like Paul and Moses did, read your Bible. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. Why? It is God's written revelation of himself to us. The necessity of all scripture. Which brings us to one last thing. We see the inspiration of all scripture. We see the necessity of all scripture. Now we come to the sufficiency of all scripture. The sufficiency of all scripture. Notice with me in verse 16 as we continue on. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That word profitable is a great word. We like to make profit, right? The word profit means it's good for you. In the sense, it's good for you. It's going to benefit you. It's going to help you. It's going to advance you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's good for you. Now, that brings the question, what does the Bible do for us? Every Bible message that comes from the Bible does one of five things. These things that are profitable. Notice if you don't mind in verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, what does the scriptures do? They bring us to salvation. The very first work that the Bible does in anyone's life is bring us to salvation. What do we mean by salvation? Salvation is coming to the place where we realize that we are sinners. And because of our sin, we've offended a holy, righteous God. That Jesus was the only one to forgive us of our sins. And we must personally come to him and ask him to pay our price. That's salvation. When we come to him and realize, I can't do it, it is him. My prayer doesn't save me. Jesus saves me. He does the work. I cannot do it myself. I need Jesus. And they come to the place where they personally receive that gift that Jesus gave them. That's the first thing the Bible's trying to do in anyone's life is to point out that they're a sinner. Because of their sin, they've offended a holy, righteous God, but Jesus is the answer. And all they have to do is receive him. Receive him. That's as simple as it is. But that's the first work that God does. So if there's someone in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ is your savior, no matter what I'm preaching, what God is trying to get across to you is that you're a sinner, but God still loves you. And if you would just come to him, he would accept you. Isn't that simple? What a wonderful God. Notice if you don't mind, that's not the only thing that he does. He brings us first of all salvation, but notice what else the Bible does for us in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Our doctrine is our belief in teachings, but for summarization, let's just say that it tells us what is right. Doctrine tells us what is right. So the Bible brings us to salvation, but it also tells us what is right. Notice as it goes on in verse 16, it tells us more. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for reproof. If we could summarize it, we could say it like this. Not only does the Bible show us what is right, but the Bible tells us what's not right. It tells us what's not right. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? 
So the Bible brings us to salvation, then tells us what's right, then teaches us what's not right. Notice as it goes on in verse number 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. (laughs) This idea of correction tells us how to get it right, correct our course. So the Bible teaches us about salvation, then it teaches us what's right, what's not right, how to get it right. And then notice the uh, the last thing here, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We could say it this way, how to keep it right. So what does the Bible do for us? It is profitable. It brings us to salvation. Then it tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get it right, how to keep it right. Well, that's pretty good stuff. That's what the Bible does for us. It's good for us. It's sufficient. The Bible is able to correct us. Whether it's from a preacher opening up the Bible and declaring what the Bible says, the Bible's able to tell us what's right, what's not right, how to get it right, how to keep it right. In your personal Bible reading, as you're searching for God and say, God, teach me, God, through his word, is able to tell you what's right. Through his word, he could tell you what's not right. How many of you have ever had a Bible reading and you read it and God said, what you're doing is wrong? Okay, now I know. The Bible says how to get it right. That's wonderful. There are some times you can read your Bible and God through his pages of his scripture pulls something out and points it and pokes you right here and says, you're wrong and you need to get it right. And this is how to get it right. That's wonderful. I'm glad I can know how to get it right. Then the Bible also says how to keep it right. You understand God wants us to stay right. And through his word, he's able to guide us. He's able to speak to us and tell me exactly what I need. He's able to prepare me for my day. He's able to show me what needs to happen through his pages of his scripture. Because it is a living book. Because of God's inspiration. Then we have verse 17, which is a summarization. God knows that we don't think in words, right? When you close your mind and you think, you don't see little tinker tape. Kind of like on the bottom of a news channel scrolling across. That's not how we think. We think in pictures. So the Bible says, let me paint you a word picture for you to understand what the Bible is trying to do for you. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. The word perfect here carries the idea to be complete or whole. He wants you to be complete or whole. So here's the word picture. That the word of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So what we see here is that let's say that someone gets saved. When you get saved, you start off with an empty room. And like all men, most men, that when they're single and they don't, they're not married, it's a man cave, right? Anything that's hanging on the walls is probably something they killed, some trophy. Instead of using a table, they have a banana crate or a milk crate and it has stuff sitting on top of it. Uh, That's how they live. Then they get married and they take the, uh, the wife takes the hangings off the wall and paints it and puts up pictures, puts up curtains, gets a nice table, gets rid of the cardboard boxes until we are thoroughly furnished. What the word of God does is as God speaks to us and we apply it inside of us, he makes us complete or whole. He thoroughly furnishes us through all good works. Meaning that as we obey the Bible, may I put a pause here? That's the key. You can have all the knowledge that you want, but if you won't obey this, it does you no good. 
I can't tell you how many people I know that study the Bible and they become great internet gurus, but they are so disobedient and they're missing the things that God's given to them. God doesn't want you to have knowledge. He wants you to have obedience. That's the purpose of giving you knowledge is to obey. And without that obey, you will not be thoroughly furnished. You may have knowledge without having what God has wanted you to have in the first place. So here we have the inspiration of all scripture. That God is the one who breathed the words. It is God's words, not man's words. We see the necessity of all scripture. All scripture is necessary. This is why we should read all scripture. All of it is God breathed. All of it reveals who God is to us. All of it is what God wants us to have and to know. And then the sufficiency of all scripture. That scripture teaches me salvation. Then teaches me what's right, what's not right. How to get it right and how to keep it right. For the purpose that I may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That God doesn't just give me the words. He wants me to obey the words. And as I obey it, it is good for me. The word of God helps me. As we're obedient to God's word. Isn't that simple? God's word is always made to be simple. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for yourself. So now I get to ask some questions. First of all, how is your Bible reading? How is your Bible reading? What do I mean by that? When's the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time your Bible spoke to you? How much of God's word? Have you ever read God's word from cover to cover? If you haven't, you're missing out. Are you reading your Bible searching for God? Bible promises that if you seek him, he shall be found. Some people say, my Bible reading is so dry and useless. Are you looking for God? If you look for God, he will be found. He promises it. He doesn't play spiritual hide and seek where you can never find him. He's always around the corner. He just wants you to put forth the effort to look for him and he will be there ready for you. The greatest thing we could do on a daily basis is to read the word of God for ourselves, Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.